millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. While some of us are content to stay at home watching box sets or making videos for TikTok, Garang Thomas has got back on his bike to ride an incredible three 12-hour shifts in the saddle to raise money for NHS workers. I talked to him as he neared the end of his first stint. We'll be hearing more about the issue of cardiac arrhythmia among cyclists and about Stuart Clapp's unhealthy obsession with Heinrich Hausler. This is the Ruler podcast, supported by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Garant Thomas, uh, welcome to the Ruler podcast. You are uh, on your first day of three 12-hour shifts on the bike in your, in your garage. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly it is you're trying to do? Uh, well, so Ineos and the team are doing their thing with uh, supplying hand sanitizer, free hand sanitizer, And obviously the team had a big part to play in delivering that. But obviously I didn't really, you know, I had nothing to do with it really, like obviously part of the team. But I wanted to make my own sort of small contribution that I could. So I thought, try and raise some money for the NHS. And uh, the best way for me to try and do that was, I thought, by riding my bike. Uh, so I had to come up with a challenge, really, that people would feel was big enough to try and, well, to donate to. So I thought I'd try and mirror an NHS worker's shifts pattern. And so basically, I was doing three back-to-back 12-hour rides on Zwift in my garage in Cardiff. 12 hours on a, on a turbo trainer, that must be longer in the saddle than you've ever done, isn't it? Almost definitely. I've done uh, eight hours 20 on the road. That's when we did a lap of Mallorca back in December last year at training camp. But even then, you know, you, we had a coffee stop. You have descents where you're freewheeling a bit. And yeah, whereas, you know, on the turbo, you're just constantly pedaling. And okay, I'm not going fast, but it's still being sat on your bike in your garage for 12 hours. So mentally it's quite draining. And also, you know, your undercarriage and your hands and your arms, they start to feel that a bit. So, Because uh, it's actually harder in some ways on a turbo trainer, isn't it? Because you can't move around or sort of uh, shift your position too much. Yeah, exactly. As we all know, you know, it's uh, you're in that fixed position. The bike is still. Although saying that, I've just had a, a Wahoo climbing machine thing you know those so as Zwift as I go uphill on Zwift my bike will increase the incline as well like that so that'll give make it a bit different for tomorrow but yeah like you say the bike's just fixed in one solid place and uh, I can get out of the saddle obviously but yes yeah, nothing like riding on the road really 
Uh, what sort of state do you think you're going to be in by Friday night when you actually finish? Wow. I think I'm definitely going to be feeling it, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I think I'm feeling okay at the moment, but yeah, once I start tomorrow morning, I'm definitely going to be sore and aching. And obviously, the current situation, like with um, isolation and social distancing, there's no chance of getting a massage or anything like that either, So, which would be quite handy tonight. But So yeah, I think I'm going to be pretty tired. I'm definitely going to have a few days off after this. And we're all aware of the sort of debt that we owe to the NHS and its workers at the moment. Is there a particular sort of personal reason why you thought you wanted to do something? Uh, well, my mum works for a cancer hospital in Cardiff, Belindra, so, and she's retired once already before, and she's gone back, and now she's gone back for a third time to help out there. My best man is also a GP up in St Helens, and my wife's side of the family, so my mother-in-law, some of her cousins, they were all have worked at the NHS or still do. So I just heard a load of stories recently about uh, what people have been doing. And it's not just the fact that they're going and putting their own health at risk and helping people in hospital. It's also, you know, they're going back home to empty houses because their loved ones have had to go away with the risk of catching the virus off, you know, them having been working in hospital all day. So it's a massive commitment that they've been making. and. When I've heard those stories, I've just felt like I really wanted to do something to help them uh, in any small way I can, really. And I thought this was probably the best way I could do it and try and raise some money for for them. Uh, and people have actually been able to kind of join you and ride with you on Swift, haven't they? Yeah, so basically on Swift, if they had just put a 12-hour route for me to do, people can only join that in the first half an hour. So people wouldn't be able to join me through the day. So what Zwift did was set up six two hour rides. So, you know, starting when I start at 7.30, then at 9.30, 11.30, 1.30, all the way through to 5.30 and finishing at 7.30 when I do. So people can join me then throughout the day. And it's worked really well. We've had people joining me uh, for like, you know, half an hour or the whole thing. And Cab's been on, Ben Swift's been on. Uh, there's a rugby player, Shane Williams, who's highest try scorer for Wales. He's actually doing all three days with me. So, yeah, that's been really good. And that's uh, definitely been a little boost as well to the morale, you know, seeing some of my mates come on and just join me. So, uh, yeah, that's worked really well. And we've also had at 11.30 and 3.30 every day I have half an hour where I ride like really easy, like 100 watts, just because a few parents had messaged me about their children that wanted to do it and if it was possible. So I have that half an hour where I just ride really easy in there and kids can come along as well and ride for half an hour. Have you been managing to get much training in while you've been in isolation? Uh, to be honest, I haven't done a ton, but it's just been sort of maintaining and I'd done a lot of work prior to actually coming into isolation, so I was due a break anyway, so I had a week off, which was nice anyway, and then, yeah, now it's more just trying not to put on too much weight, maintain a bit of fitness, and then, you know, once I do start back then, you're not trying to lose a load, lose a load of weight and get fit, um, but I think mentally as well, you have to try to stay fresh, because... 
it'd be quite easy to just go at it now and just overdo it mentally. And then by the time August comes, when you really have to step up the training or, you know, get stuck into some racing, you could quite easily be a bit cooked because it's easy to overdo it on the turbo sometimes. I was going to ask, you know, the latest, as I'm sure you're aware, the latest from race organisers and the UCI today um, is talking about maybe Tour de France late August, September, then the Worlds in Switzerland in September, then the Giro, then the Vuelta. If it, what, what do you think about that? I think it's great if that can happen. I think, you know, if the, all the races can go ahead, then fantastic. Like, when they happen is... I don't think many people have too much of an issue with, really. It'd just be like the Tour is iconic as well, cycling is all about if you ask somebody in the uk to name like three words about cycling i'm sure yellow jersey would be in there um or tour de france you know and uh, i think it's it's great if they can if they can all go ahead safely perfect i think uh, riders teams staff fans everyone will be happy for to see that happen Right, now, I don't want to start any uh, rivalry, but you'll be aware, I imagine, of uh, Captain Tom Moore, the 99-year-old army officer. <laughs> La- <laughs> last time I looked, and it's probably gone up since then, he'd raised £7 million for the NHS. Um, you're going to try and give him a run for his money? Trust me, there's no rivalry there. I know my limits, and uh, <laughs> we, we won't be able to raise that amount. That's just incredible. And, uh, yeah, fair play to him, you know, 99 Oh, it's incredible just to see the generosity of people this time, uh, you know, with everything going on, and especially the financial difficulty that a lot of people are going to find themselves in. So yeah, it's great to see him doing that. And uh, anything that I can contribute to that well, is great. Geraint, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the challenge and hope to see you back on the bike properly at some stage later this year. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Ruler 20.2, the Belgian issue, had a fascinating article about the subject which was brought into horribly sharp focus with the death of the much-respected pro-rider turned DS Nico Portal. Nico had a cardiac arrhythmia, an irregular heartbeat, which uh, had already caused his retirement as a rider ten years ago. The Ruler article focuses on an earlier victim, Roubaix winner Johan van Sommeren, thankfully still with us, but again forced into retirement. And Danish journalist Emil Fogert uh, wrote the article. Um, Emil joins us from Copenhagen, where I, I assume that you are, uh, like most of Europe, in, in some form of lockdown at the moment, Emil. I definitely am. This is the most exciting that ha- has happened all week. So, Well, I'm glad to be of assistance in that way. Your article is really interesting. When did you first become aware of the scale of this problem of irregular heartbeats uh, among cyclists? So in late 2017, my dad casually mentioned how some of his friends uh, of recreational cyclists had suffered from arrhythmias, uh, benign arrhythmias. And I, I just jotted it down and never really thought about it again. That's until uh, the tragic death of, of Michael Golletz during Paris Bay. And I started wondering how a fit man in his early 20s could die of cardiac arrest. It's something I personally think uh, is mainly linked to the older segment. And days later, the retired Danish writer Brian Venbo publicly told how he went into cardiac arrest uh, and crashed while out for a spin. Fortunately for him, two other cyclists found him and performed CBR. And that's when I really dove into it and, and found all these news articles on professional riders who were forced into retirement due to arrhythmias. 
I had been aware of all of them individually, but never really linked them together. So yeah, that's when I, I around early 2018, April 2018, I started reading about it and reading books about it. And as far as we can tell, it's actually, in effect, the cycling that's causing the problem. Yeah, it is. Arrhythmias can be linked to endurance exercise athletes as cyclists because it puts such a strain on the heart and it pushes it to a limit that is not... I mean, it's not normal for a human being to push it that far. So how widespread do you think this problem is amongst the pro peloton in particular? I mean, it's hard to put a precise number on, but conservative uh, numbers based on research put puts it at uh, cases at twofold that of the general population, while others put it at fivefold. So at least twice as likely to suffer from the problem as, as, as ordinary people, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And according to a 2014 study, between 2% and 3% of the European and North American population experience atrial fibrillation, which is the, the, the most common uh, uh, arrhythmia. So it's, yeah, it would be twice that. Obviously, this has a huge effect on the riders themselves, uh, even if they are just forced into retirement. And in the article, uh, in particular, you spoke to Johan van Sommeren. Uh Yes, I did. I visited van Sommeren at his home in, in, in Belgium. And I mean, it meant losing a huge part of his identity. I think that's common for most of us. If we lose a job, that's a, a part of our identity. But for professional riders who have often dedicated most of their lives to cycling and from an early age they skipped out on the regular youth shenanigans instead opting for a weekend in the saddle, that's a huge part of you and you've lived most of your life in hotels, sacrificed being home just to being in that battle of being the best. For Johan van Summan specifically, being forced to retire meant that he, uh, as he candidly tells, he, he turned to alcohol for a time to numb the, the pain of of being retired. Uh, in the past, a lot of people have associated heart problems amongst pro cyclists with possibly the effects of doping. Is that part of the problem that people are slightly un, unhappy about talking about it? Yeah, I, th- I definitely think that's a reason why people are afraid to talk about it. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it is it is still, to a certain degree, a taboo to, to say that you have heart problems. Whether or not there's a direct link between doping and cardiac arrhythmia is, is, hard, is hard to say. Um, a, a, a drug like steroids can definitely lead to it, uh, to cardiac arrhythmias. I think less frequently considered is the potential for indirect effects caused through doping because you enable athletes to push beyond normal limits when they dope and therefore uh, the risk or potential for, for exercise-induced arrhythmias is higher. And even if the individual concerned is not doping, if other people are, then it encourages everyone to push themselves that much harder, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yes. What, if anything, do you think can be done by coaches and organisations to prevent or sort of ease this issue? Because of the nature of cardiac arrhythmias and, and it being very hard to detect, I mean, you can have uh, an arrhythmia or regular heartbeat one minute, and when you get checked, it's hard to find that means that it's hard to test for. So I think it's very important to have transparency and make sure it's not a taboo. One of the cardiologists I talked to in the article tells how earlier he often, uh, writers would stop him and talk about arrhythmias and make sure that he didn't tell anybody about it because they were afraid it would get out and they would have to, and, and they would lose their career. So, I mean, make sure to talk about it. 
that's one thing. And at the same time, I think there should be a lot more studying, or a lot more studies to see what is like what can be done. And if there's any inkling uh, that a writer might have an arrhythmia, make sure to test the person. I think that's it's hard to say because it's so hard to detect, but I, I think that's one way to go at least. Okay, Emil, thank you for joining us on the Ruler Podcast and do stay safe in Copenhagen. Thank you very much and you too, stay safe. Emil Forget there, whose piece uh, Heartbroken appeared in Ruler 20.2. Well, Ruler 20.3 is due out at some point very soon and I'm joined by Ruler's managing editor, Ian Cleverly. Uh, Ian, how is uh, lockdown treating you? Well, you know, can't complain the great scheme things because um you know i've got a house and a garden and unlike a lot of people um yeah i'm blessed really and the weather i mean i don't know if, i don't know if anybody else is picking up the bird song coming from uh, ian's back garden there but uh, that's another another <laughs> incredible thing isn't it well it makes a change from uh, aircraft and police helicopters but yeah yeah exactly exactly and i've been getting out on a, a bit of a ride i just do i do peck and ride on my cross bike for a few laps and just bumble around nothing to um Nothing too extravagant. Uh, so what's happening with Ruler 20.3? Uh, is it going to be a Giro edition? Because in, in the real world, uh, that's what it should be, I guess, isn't it? Well, that would be our normal um, plan for this issue. And obviously, um, it had to change somewhat <laughs> due to no Giro. Um, well, possibly Giro in September, according to the U- UCI. Yeah, who knows? Nobody knows. It changes by the day, doesn't it? But thankfully, we had a fabulous bunch of interviews in the hold already. So we've taken a bit of a swerve away from the Giro and just gone full on interviews. And there's some cracking stuff. I mean, Ned Bolting interviewed Chris Froome. And the last time he interviewed Chris for us, Froome hadn't even won, you know, a single Grand Tour. And here he is, having got over his horrendous injury, gunning for for an eighth. Fingers crossed. Who knows when that will happen? But... uh, it, in, you know, in, in theory, the Tour de France has taken place in August currently, but that remains to be seen. Um, but basically, the, the, the guys have been uh, pre-lockdown. They've been all over the world. So the fabulous Morton went to Italy to speak to Michele Accoroni, the former uh, Giro director, who was famously or infamously uh kicked out of his position and accused of stealing millions of pounds, uh, euros, which he did not, and uh, got a great story from there. And Matt Rendell went to see Richard Carapaz in uh, Ecuador, which is an amazing story. Wonderful, wonderful. I'd pay the money just for that piece alone. They're they're all great. On the subject of money, um, many people will have seen on social media and elsewhere posts and messages from Rouleur essentially saying that uh, during the current crisis, when a lot of people are not uh, having the opportunity to buy magazines and newspapers, uh, the magazine needs all the subscribers and support it can get. We're not just, uh, we're not saying it for the sake of it. It, it, The next couple of months... You know, and I'll be brutally honest about this. It's, it's going to be tough for us, as it is for many businesses across the world, any business across the world. We've introduced a new monthly payment scheme. So for £7 a month, you know, in the great scheme of things, ain't an awful lot, is it? It's a couple of, couple of coffees in London. Never, I don't know about anywhere else, but, you know, it's a couple of coffees worth. Or download the app. We've got a load of back issues there for free. Buy something at the Emporium. Just... You know, we put up a lot of stuff for free, this included. We do a lot of stuff that is not charged for. 
And all we're asking people for is to think about that and, and to try and help us out to get us through the next couple of months. And then, fingers crossed, on the other side of this, we'll still be here. And it will mean that uh, Stuart Clapp can still be kept in uh, the style to which he's become accustomed. Well, quite. Um, I mean, I, I, have you ascertained what he actually does yet? I, no. I'm, no, no. Not a clue. No. So my name is Oren Peleg, and I'm an investor in LACA. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis, and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. So, uh, Rula Desire Editor, Stuart Clapp, uh, are you still riding your bike in Essex, Stuart? I am, mate. I've just got back and I'm currently sat on the balcony overlooking the sea, right, with my top off. You can picture it, can't you? It's lovely. It's lovely. But what, what a lovely day. And although it's proper, probably the worst time ever, it's a great time to ride a bike. Sun's out, not much wind, hardly in the run on the road. And you are observing the rules, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, I am. Totally. I'm going out on my own. Um, to, to be honest, I've, uh, I didn't realise I've been social distancing for years. It's called being a road cyclist. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I ride, yeah, ride on my own and I go out for about an hour to squeeze in what I can. Because I live somewhere where it's nice and flat, I can squeeze in about 40k in about just over an hour so i've been doing my 40k loop quite a bit which is uh it's quite nice and you've been running as well i did well yeah i say running it it wasn't that quick and i don't think it was very pretty so adam blythe uh nominated me in one of those five for for five you know we donate five quid for the nhs right so adam nominated me to do that and this was Sunday when it's been, you know, really sunny all day. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd had the afternoon drinking beer. So I thought, you know what? No time like the present. So about half past eight, nine o'clock, I think, Sunday evening, I went out and did 5K. Trouble is with cycling people and running is that they've got all the cardio. They've got the engine for it, but they haven't got the chassis. So what tends to happen is when a cyclist goes out running the first time, they run really hard, really fast, right? And then they injure themselves. My mate got nominated re- uh, yesterday and he said to me, how, how are your legs after Sunday? And I said, no, I still haven't got over the doms. In fact, I, 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 it's my left calf, right? I can't unclip on my left-hand side getting out. Of the, but it's, yeah, I don't know what he's done to me, but maybe I run with a, a funny gait. But it's all right, you know, there's quite a lot of calories to be done in like half an hour's running. And 5K is... You know, it's not that far, but it's far if you're not a runner. Yeah, if you're doing something like a park run on a Saturday morning, you realise that 5K is actually quite a long distance. Yeah, I couldn't do that because I, I think I'd try, I'd get competitive. E- even the other night, I, I could see a jogger in the distance and I was like thinking, oh, I'm going to catch him, I'm going to reel him in. It was like doing a, a like Wednesday night 10. But yeah, that's I think that's where the danger lies for us cyclists doing this running business because we can... Just because we can doesn't mean to say we should. You've been doing much else? You've been catching up on reading or anything like that? 
I have been reading. I've been reading a lot of fiction, and I've been catching up on some uh, cycling books that I haven't I, I haven't read uh, for and and ones that I've read years ago and then have reread. Uh, one of which I I can't. I remember the first time I read Robbie McEwen's book. Right, I couldn't read it in the evening, so I, I had to keep putting it down because. It, when you read his accounts of these sprints and where he's putting his front wheel and the calculations and stuff, it's so well written that whether he wrote it himself, I don't know. But um, it's so well written that I was fine. I was, I was trying to go to bed in like zone four because I was so worked up from reading his book. It's really good. You haven't read it, have you? I haven't read it. You know, I think you're the first person who's ever recommended uh, Robbie McEwen's book. I sort of saw it and thought, nah, it probably won't be, uh, yeah, it won't be a classic or anything. Um, but no, I'll check it out now. Yeah, it's good. You, we've we've got a, both got a nerdy collection of books, haven't we? I've got a massive collection, but not including uh, Robbie McEwen, so I'll have to sort that out. Have you read um, Bill Strickland's 10 Points? No, I haven't. But it's apparently very dark, you've been telling me. It's very dark, but no one I've recommended it to hasn't been impressed by it. I think it's um, it gets inside the mind, uh, particularly of amateur racers, in a way that no one else does. Oh, that's good. Because I, I tell you what, there, there really is a, uh, a psychology in amateur bike riders, which I'm, I'm beginning to see quite a lot of now we're in lockdown. Like the ones that can spend three hours on a turbo trainer. I don't think I've ever, ever want to do that. But I'm very impressed with those that can, because I, I don't think I've got the mental capability of it. I was talking to you about Charlie Regalius's book. I think Tom Southern actually wrote it. It was another DS at um, uh, EF Education. Yeah, he wrote it. And there's a really interesting bit in there that I've talked about with people who haven't read it. It's quite an interesting bit because he talks about how he realise he was a domestic rather than uh, like a principal rider i can't remember which race it was i want to say amstel gold or something like that anyway he was coming into the finish and he was in a group of four or something breakaway and uh you know when you get that slingshot you come round a bend this is a good way of beating your mates also in a in a a town sign sprint if you're coming into a bend you want to be behind don't lead it out and then use the slingshot of the bend to come round him right anyway he did that and he said, as he looked up, he could see the finish line for I'm going to go now. And then he looked up again and the finish line looked just as far as it was when he started his sprint away. And I think he ended up coming fourth out of the four man breakaway or something. But it's a very interesting story because, you know, you, you read you read a lot of stories about like like Robbie McEwen or whatever that, that won lots. You don't often hear about the guy who didn't win very much. And the reason why he. He sort of became, uh, you know, the role within cycling that he became. And that's probably why he's he's a DS, because they, they do say that a lot of the most talented riders make a terrible DS because they go, why can't you ride off the front? Yeah, I have read it, but I will dig it out and uh, have a look through it again, because obviously I haven't got much else to do at the moment. Um, so we're well into the uh, season now, of course. Paris-Roubaix last weekend, uh, or rather not. Um, if it had gone ahead... Who was your tip for a win over the Cobbles? Well, same as it always is, Ian. But coincidentally, it's the same as Mark Cavendish. Heinrich Hausler. Yes, you got it. I love Heino. And there's many reasons why I like him. Because A, he's really cool, right? B, he's like always brown, right? And 
see, he's just, I'll go back to point A again. He's just really cool. And um, I, I met him years ago, right? So when And there, I I'm afraid, we must leave Stuart alone on his balcony with his top off with just his thoughts of Heinrich Hausler to keep him company. Don't forget, if you value good journalism and photography about bike racing, please consider taking out a subscription to Rouleur. If you've already got one, thank you, but maybe recommend a friend or buy one as a present. Rouleur 20.3, which is a cracker, is out this week, and you've still got time to subscribe for that. But the thing about Hauster is, if he won Paris-Roubaix, would he have worn gloves? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.